This is in 1 John 4, 1 through 6 in Spanish. Queridos hermanos, no crean a cualquier espíritu, sino sometanlo a prueba para ver si es de Dios. Porque han salido por el mundo muchos falsos profetas. En esto pueden discernir quién tiene el Espíritu de Dios. Todo el que confiese que Jesucristo ha venido en cuerpo humano es de Dios. Todo espíritu que no confiesa a Jesús no es de Dios, sino del anticristo. Ustedes han oído que éste viene y efectivamente ya está en el mundo. Ustedes, queridos hijos, son de Dios y han vencido a esos falsos profetas, porque el que está en ustedes es más poderoso que el que está en el mundo. Ellos son del mundo, por eso hablan desde el punto de vista del mundo y el mundo los escucha. Nosotros somos de Dios y todo el que conoce a Dios nos escucha, pero el que no es de Dios no nos escucha. Así distinguimos entre el espíritu de la verdad y el espíritu del engaño. Now I'll read this in English. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You are from the world, uh, they are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Elizabeth. Man, I just love, 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 love the scriptures in different languages. I'm always so curious, like when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, how that language barrier will be completely gone and what language will it be? Will it be all of them, like this big amalgam of all the languages combined into one? I don't know. It's just one of those meditations in the mind of Dan this morning. <laughs> Well, happy summer to you. It's a beautiful summer out here in San Diego, and we continue our journey through First, uh, Second, and Third John, a series that we're titled uh, "A Community of Love," where we are learning who Jesus is and how He forms a family around Himself. A self-giving at cost to self is the de definition of love. Self-giving community, caring for one another in the in the uh, for the purpose of caring for our city. So, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you this morning for your text, for your scriptures, and for this community. And God, we ask that your spirit now would um, plant in this church a firm foundation of gospel and doctrine and dogma, a robust theology. Father, neighbors, in some ways, she really is trying to, to pioneer the frontiers of contemplative Christianity in the modern age, charismatic Christianity, empowered by the Holy Spirit while maintaining a robust and thorough theological orthodoxy, that is, right belief. We, Father, want to be guarded and to be guided by you in our mind, heart, soul. And we want to herald the truth. And so may you illuminate these scriptures and illuminate our minds and anoint us and send us 
as heralds of truth, bearing the creed of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and his rule over all the cosmos. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, let's start there with what I was praying about with a word that has pretty much been lost in the modern vocabulary, the word creed. You guys familiar with the word creed? Yes, it was a band from the late 90s from Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, but those days are long past us now, thank God. Creed. <laughs> yeah, so the word creed. Uh, the word creed comes from the Latin credo. Credo, can you say that class? Credo. Credo, very good. And it basically means I believe. That's the most literal translation of creed. I believe. So Webster's defines creed as a brief authoritative formula of religious belief or slash beliefs or a set of fundamental beliefs, foundational to everything that a community does. Uh, the New Oxford Dictionary, which is what our Apple dictionaries are, it takes the definition of creed one step further, and it's a really important step because it adds behavior to belief. Oxford Dictionary says, a set of beliefs or aims which guide someone's action. So creeds are stated sets of beliefs that ultimately guide communities and individuals' behaviors. Christianity is a creedal faith. It is a faith of confessions, a faith of declarations, a faith of beliefs, a faith of creeds. There are sets of beliefs that are truly Christian, and there are sets of beliefs that are not Christian. So throughout church history, numbers of creeds have been formed and debated and hammered out that we, the modern Christian community, continue to this day to confess and to trust. And those beliefs that we confess determine parts of our behavior. Now, to this point, John the Apostle, he's been weaving together through this book the beliefs that determine Christian behavior. And he's been heavily emphasizing Christians' external behaviors, particular behaviors that mark them as actually belonging to Jesus Christ's family. But in our teaching text for the morning, John dials in not on our behavior, but on what you and I believe what we believe as a primary mark of truly being an apprentice of Jesus. So just for fun, I'm going to read for us a few different creeds, three of them this morning. We're going to get super nerdy this morning. Three creeds this morning from which we want to discern true belief from false belief. And all of these creeds, by the way, claim to be true representations of the beliefs about Jesus and Christianity. Let's start with this first one. I believe in the non-binary God, whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads, and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit, who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the Church of Everyday Saints, as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars and wonder, I believe in the call to each of us that love is love, so beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. <clears throat> Let me ask you guys a question. It's a serious question. This is a serious question. Do you think that this stated fact or this stated um, creed of faith, do you believe that it's right, that it's true? Do you believe it's a right representation of God? the Bible, and Jesus Christ? Just nod your head, yes or no. Okay, so for most of us in this room, we're nodding our head no. And I want to I wanna challenge you, genuinely and humbly. How do you know? <clears throat> How do you know? 
How do you know that this is not true? By what authority are you stating this isn't true, this isn't right? Now, this, this particular creed was written in 2021 by Reverend Rachel Small Stokes. Uh, it's called the Sparkle Creed of Pastor. She's the pastor of Emmanuel United Church of Christ in Louisville, Kentucky. It kind of lit off a firestorm this last year via the TikTok and social media feeds as a woman uh, in a Lutheran church in Minnesota was filmed reading this creed before her church there uh, at the end of Gay Pride in June. And uh, on the right, it was a source of mockery. And on the left, it was a source of celebration, depending on which algorithm is feeding all of your feeds. Okay? Let's do two more. Let's do two more. Here's the second creed. Now, consider this one. We believe in God, the eternal Father, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost. Okay. Same question as the first one. Is this true of Christianity? Shake your heads yes or no. Okay. We've got some yeses. Do we have, we have some no's in the room. No's and yeses, no's and yeses. Yes, I'm being tricky with y'all this morning. <clears throat> How do you know? Same question. How do you know if this is true? If this is a right representation of Bible, God, Jesus, Son, Holy Spirit. How, how do you know? This is the first article of faith in a set of 13 articles written by a man named Joseph Smith in 1842. This is the first article of faith in the founding of the Latter-day Saints, a religion that's come to be known as Mormonism. Now, Mormonism and Mormons, they reject the traditional Christian doctrine of the Trinity, which states that God is a single substance in three co-equal and co-eternal persons. Get nerdy here, stick with me. Mormons have been considered heretical in their belief from the very inception of the community. Joseph Smith has been considered a false prophet and a heretical teacher by the, Christian, by the larger Christian community throughout history. Now, last one, last one, okay? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, and we believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of all life. You know the routine. Does this rightly represent the Bible and Christianity? Yeses or noes? Mostly yeses. Gold star for the yeses in the room. Uh, But I want to ask you again, how do you know? How do we know that the Sparkle Creed is wrong or the first article of faith from Joseph Smith is not true, but here what this is is the Nicene Creed, which really had its kind of, it kind of came to its conclusion, 325 uh, AD, which is like, what is that, early 4th century? How do we know what is true? This is, this is the key question that John is trying to get at with his community. And I want to ask you right now, after the reading of these creeds, how are you personally doing in your body? Just check in just a little bit. Because I would imagine that some of us are kind of bothered that I even brought these creeds up to compare and contrast. You may be sitting there saying, this is the problem with religion, especially with Christianity. All of its creeds and doctrines and dogmas, you know, this is the problem. It creates these debates and it leads to division. Ultimately, it leads to hate. You're just exacerbating hate, Dan. How could you? Some of us might be feeling a little bit unsettled. Whoa, this is a little bit confusing. Like, I'm not trained theologically. There's so many creeds out there. There's false ones and there's true ones. I'm uncertain of what I actually think. Do I even believe the right things? And so there's a stirring there. And some of us are probably a little bit apathetic, a little bit indifferent. Great, Dan. Fun lesson on archaic words and ideas that never cross my mind. What is the point of this this morning? Here it is. You and I and every human being that has ever lived all live by a set of creeds. 
and these creeds, every human on this planet, determine our behavior, whether we are conscious of our creedal statements or not. We may not stand on a Sunday morning and recite our actual creed, but no human exists on this planet without a deeply ingrained belief structure that determines behaviors and choices. Make no mistake about it either, friends. For you who have been brought here by a friend and you're new to Christianity or you're considering or you're praying, culture has its creeds just as much as Christianity has its creeds. We are actually a creed-driven society. So take, for example, an atheist. An atheist's belief structure, an atheist's creed is there is no God. That is a belief that determines behavior. An agnostic, an agnostic, unable to know. An agnostic says, God cannot be known, or truth, definitive truth cannot be known. That in and of itself is a truth proclamation, by the way. Truth cannot be known is a truth proclamation. So how do you know that it's true? Agnosticism's creedal belief, confession of God cannot be known, truth can be not, cannot be known, is a doctrine. It's a dogma of agnosticism. Now, just to get a lay of the land here briefly before we get into our text, we live in a very heated and splintered moment, a war of creeds, if you will. While Christianity has its creedal debates and divisions, the war of opposing creeds in this cultural moment, it is intensifying with greater and greater fervor and zeal on all sides across multiple tribes. Let me just ask you guys personally, how anxious are you in any social environment right now that you might say the wrong thing in the wrong crowd and end up being canceled or crushed or cast out in this war of beliefs? I can tell you the most terrifying question on an airplane right now is, what do you do for a living? <laughs> in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood, here in the, in the center of the city of San Diego, in my neighborhood, the placards read this. In this house, we believe no human is illegal, Black lives matter, science is real, love is love, silence is violence, and kindness is everything. There's real beauty in some of these creedal affirmations. There's real truth. There's some nuance in what's going on behind the scenes of some of these creedal nuances. In my brother's neighborhood, my brother who lives in the northern panhandle of Idaho, just associate everything that you're thinking of with the northern panhandle of Idaho, here's what his placards read in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. In this house, we believe the news is propaganda. The state is organized crime. Taxation is theft. All gun laws are an infringement. Girls are girls. Boys are boys. And liberty is everything. Our culture flies opposing flags, just like in the old days of war. Some rainbows on one side, others a snake and don't tread on me on the other. It's a declaration of war and sides. And also, friends, recognize there are highly specialized algorithms ensuring that you and I hear only one creed from one community over and over and over as we scroll, and these repetitive creeds create a liturgy within our echo chambers that form us and convince us that any idea or belief beyond our own is dangerous and something to be destroyed. You and I are caught in the crossfire of a war of creeds, and we are bombarded daily with each faction's messaging and each faction's statements about this is true, this is real, and we are being bombarded with a demand for compliance and agreement. So I ask again, as Christians in this community, how do we know what's right? How can we know what's true? How can we discern <clears throat> what's good and what is beautiful. Back to John. John is teaching his community about belief in Jesus Christ. 
And John understood something fundamentally that most modern Christians have either forgotten or merely relegated to our superstitious past. Namely, behind all human belief and behavior, behind all human belief and behavior, is a complex spiritual world of angels and demons vying for power and control over humanity, over our minds, and over God's creation. The creedal wars of Christianity and the creedal wars of culture in this moment, they are only the tip of an iceberg. Behind the earthly skirmishes is this cosmic war between good and evil forces in the unseen realms of spirit and of the heavens and earth. Dear friends, John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John, like all people of antiquity, understood that the space between the physical and the spiritual was porous. There was interplay and interference and influence one from the other to the other. The ancients did not have a category for a separated spiritual world from their physical world, much less a category for a non-existent spiritual realm. We, on the other hand, are byproducts of the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution, and Satan has gained the upper hand through an arrogance of a Western worldview that divorces the spiritual from the physical, or worse yet, categorically denies the existence of the unseen spiritual realities altogether. Michael Heiser, the late Michael Heiser, he passed away this last year, changed my life actually, Old Testament scholar. His magnum opus is a book called Unseen Realms for the super nerds in the spiritual realm of warfare. Read it, it's a slog, but it's absolutely brilliant. In Unseen Realms, Heiser wrote, when we forget or ignore the spiritual conflict around us, we become unwitting participants in the cosmic rebellion against God. So what we see in the tribal, creedal warfare of the cultural and the Christian moment is unwitting human participants in cosmic rebellion against God, declaring deceptions, points of untruth with our earthly, fleshy, self-centered, and sometimes satanically inspired creeds defining reality for us. And so John, as a good pastor, as a good pastor, warns his community, test the creeds, test the yard placards, beliefs, statements, test the social media feeds, creeds, test these things. Consider what force, what source, what influence is behind the scenes because there are false beliefs being heralded by false prophets, influenced by malevolent spirits all throughout the world in which we live. So how do we test these things? That's the rest of our time for this morning. How do we know if our belief structure is true to the reality of who God is or if we're deceived and being pulled along by the devil himself? It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Everything for the Christian is about Jesus. And I don't want to be reductionistic in this. This doesn't just mean that we read our Bibles and we don't read broadly in philosophy and sociology and politics and economics. We read all of those things through the lens of Jesus informing how we understand the world. Everything for the Christian centers in their belief and behavior upon the king of the cosmos who has given us victory. What you and I believe about Jesus right now this morning, is a mark of either being a true apprentice of him or 
of beginning a course of deception. And that's weighty. That's sobering. Jesus is the foundation of all Christian belief structures. This is what John says, 4-2, 1 John. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so from the earliest days of the church's existence, Satan and malevolent spirits, and I don't know how this works in the actual minds of humanity, but somehow, just like the Holy Spirit can speak to us, Satan and malevolent spirits can speak to us, and they have been, from the very beginning of the church, been inspiring different versions of Jesus in John's day, John was refuting an ancient heresy called doceticism. Class, doceticism, can you say this? Doceticism. You just learned a big word. You sound so smart. Doceticism simply taught that Jesus wasn't actually human. Doce, uh, the, 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 the docetic heresy around late second century taught that he only appeared to be human. We have the beginnings of that heresy in John's community, and it's full-fledged by the time we get about 150 years later. But Essentially, doceticism taught that Jesus only appeared to be human. He was more like a mirage or a ghost, but he wasn't like us. He wasn't fully flesh. He wasn't fully human. Some of you will be familiar with the term Gnosticism. This was one of the early progenitors, one of the early seeds of what became full-blown Gnosticism by the fourth century. And so John, with his community, laid down the gauntlet. He essentially says to his community, if someone believes that Jesus is anything less than fully human in the flesh, just like you and I, and fully God among us, then you don't actually know Jesus. You're deceived by the Antichrist, the force that is opposing Jesus in this cosmic war. And so this idea of Jesus being fully human and fully God among us, it is important for a whole host of theological reasons that we don't have time to get into this morning. But I just want to ask a very practical question in application from John's warning to us as modern Christians. Is the Jesus that you and I believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Is he the Jesus of historical orthodoxy, hammered out and debated throughout the creeds, especially through about the first five centuries of the church's existence? But not only that, I think that if John were writing a letter to Neighbors Church today, he would be exhorting us to explore deeply what we believe about Jesus right now. Because I can tell you, there's a false American Jesus who's just the genie in the bottle that gives you whatever you want and fulfills all your dreams. False Jesus. There's also a political Jesus who's just the head of whatever ideology scratches your current itch. False Jesus. Dangerous Jesus. That Jesus, since 2020 and some of, the, some of the shenanigans since 2016 in these last political cycles, that false Jesus has been shredding Christian communities apart. And so as we approach 2024 and a new political cycle, which Jesus do you believe in? The Jesus of American politics or the Jesus of the kingdom of God? Does the Jesus you believe in ever tell you no? Because if the Jesus you believe in has never told you no and moved you where you didn't want to go, only where you wanted to go and fulfilled all of your dreams, that's probably not Jesus. Does the Jesus we believe in only love us when we work really hard and read our Bibles and how well we perform? And if, if, if we fail, that Jesus, that Jesus rejects us and casts us to the corner, that's probably a false Jesus. We're missing the Jesus of mercy and grace. But does the Jesus you believe in today hold the highest moral standards for your external behavior while simultaneously extending infinite mercy and grace for your missteps? Now we're getting close to the Jesus of the Bible. Now we're getting close to Orthodox Jesus. Orthodox, orthodoxy. Ortho, 
Dauntist, right teeth, they're all straightened. Orthodoxy, right belief. Did everybody track with what that means? Orthodoxy, right belief. Lined up belief. A lot of modern Christianity needs braces for its Christianity. (laughs) Now listen, friends. Let us not become arrogant. Great damage is done by theological, prideful, arrogant fools who may be right, orthodox, but their orthopraxy, their practice is just pride and just as devilish. You see, there's always this measured tension within the the practices of Christianity and the beliefs of Christianity. Let me ask you, does the Jesus you believe in, did he literally, historically live, die, and resurrect from the grave? Or is he just sort of a mythical character and a very sophisticated allegory written by superstitious people trying to generate hope under the boot of oppressive Rome? One's false, one's true. And let me finally ask you this. Is the Jesus you believe in ruling and reigning over the cosmos right now? Ruling and reigning, bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Ruling and reigning in every facet of your heart. Or is he that American convenient, dream-fulfilling genie in the bottle who would never ask you to carry a cross and go where you don't want to go? Remember, we are testing our personal creeds about Jesus personally within this church constantly, and we're always asking types of questions, these types of testing questions, in the middle of a war of cultural creeds that are very compelling, cultural creeds that are vying for our trust. We are bombarded every day with false creeds about the good life, salvation, meaning, purpose, identity, and reality. And John is extremely blunt. He's so blunt. If the beliefs that we are adopting and behaving by aren't about Jesus or aren't acknowledging Jesus or don't have Jesus' lens influencing them and interpreting them, then they become dangerous and they can separate us from who Jesus actually is. But verse 3, chapter 4, verse John, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. This, I hope, sobers us here in our summer sessions as we become a community of love to become more vigilant one for another in our own belief systems, more deeply careful in our introspection and in our testing of our own narratives and belief structures. And I would say that the great tragedy of Western affluence and comfort with all the blessings of the money and the food and the water and the houses and the cars that we all have access to, the great tragedy is we have been lulled. Jesus' communities have been lulled into a complacent sleep in the midst of a very dangerous war. Christians, we must once again be awakened to this cosmic war, and we must be sober, as St. Peter would say, about the lion who's seeking to devour and the eternal effect of our choices and beliefs that, that these things have on us and in our world. Just a little splash of cosmic reality is my only hope for us this morning. And God, my friends, will meet us there. God meets us in that moment of awakening like, whoa, have I been taking my Christianity as seriously as I ought, my belief structures as I ought? This is where God meets us, and he encourages us with strength and confidence and certainty and humble victory. Verse 4, 1 John 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. These creedal declarations of the world, the satanic forces of the cosmic war, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God never leaves his people to their own devices in discerning right from wrong, good from bad. The miracle of Christianity is that God himself comes to indwell us by the Holy Spirit. Earlier in the text, I think Zach taught on this, we've been given an anointing 
There is a guide who is literally guiding us. As much as Satan wants to infiltrate and speak into our minds and deceive, the Holy Spirit is there declaring truth and bearing witness to Jesus and directing our steps as we read our Bibles and as we study church history, which we're about to get into. Going to get boring this morning. It's going to be awesome. The Spirit recreates our innermost being, and he recreates around proper belief structures through our deepest desires. And what we're doing as Christians is we're working out our deepest desires from the Spirit in our new belief structures over the whole course of our lives. The Spirit comes along, and when we're reading our Bibles or on a Sunday morning, right now the Spirit is seeking to illuminate these texts, God's words, even my words. He's convicting of sin. He's gifting us with our truest and deepest desires. And then he intertwines all of us together in a community that's going through a process together of discovering growth and transformation in obedience to Jesus. The Spirit of God is always bearing witness to the truth of Jesus, and we are responsible to grow in our understanding and knowledge of Jesus. Whenever we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, we are saying that his primary role is to unite us together with Jesus Christ. In other words, we're not just putting off an old creed and putting on a new one, but through the power of the Spirit, in some mysterious way, when we declare and confess these creeds and say, I believe, help my unbelief, we are literally putting on Jesus himself. We are united with him in union by the power of belief and faith. And so everything that we do as Christian comes out of our response to this mysterious, beautiful, spiritual union with Jesus himself through the indwelling of the Spirit who's manifesting that union by our beliefs, by our declarations, and by our behaviors. Your part, my part, our part is to cultivate and curate our creeds under the influence of the Spirit in the midst of false teaching all around us. What, Dan, like brainwashing? One million zillion percent. We need our brains washed from the creeds of the world by biblical truth over and over and over and over. And you are kidding yourself if you don't believe you're being washed in your brain by the constant creedal affirmations of social media and the feeds and patterns of this world. Dear one, be humble. Be humble and recognize that we're all being washed of brain this morning, either by the Bible and by God's people and by Jesus himself or by something else. So how do we do this intentional brainwashing? How do we live into this? How do we test the creeds? Personal study within community under authority. Personal study within community under authority. This is where we're going to land the plane this morning. There's a few more pages of notes here. There is no way around this. Personal study. Personal study. Can you just all say that with me so I know I got gotcha. you? Personal, personal study. Personal study. Who's, what does personal mean? Go ahead and point your finger. What does personal mean? Oh, I have a responsibility. I'm pointing the finger at me. I have a responsibility to study. In a world of sound bites and social media frenzies, the Spirit is inviting and challenging God's church once again to slow down, read deeply, think critically, and learn about Christian doctrine and history and practice through personal, disciplined study. And we don't just study, friends, as an intellectual act, but as a devoted act of worship. The study of theology has long been considered an act of worship by the Christian community. And so when we open up our Bibles here on a Sunday morning, it's not only song, it's the reading of scriptures and the study of scriptures and personal practice that are an act of worship. Our quiet times, individually alone, as we're reading through Leviticus, going, I don't know what this means. That's a declaration of praise as you interact with God and the Bible. And it's important to note, Christians, That some seasons of your life, you're going to wake up and be like, the Bible, it's just so many promises and it speaks to me so deeply and I love it. 
And other mornings you're going to wake up and be like, TikTok. But you have a personal responsibility to study, even when you're spitting dirt and you're like, I don't know what this means. When you say, I don't know what this means, it's an invitation from the Spirit to say, Learn, study, ask questions, seek resources. Sitting with a book that details the various behaviors and beliefs of Christianity, that's an act of devotion. Bible Project, one of my professors and acquaintances slash friends from my master's degree, Dr. Tim Mackey, probably the most important teacher of the Bible in our generation at this point. Just go to BibleProject.com and watch anything that Tim does. Just watch anything. Just listen to any of the podcasts. Just do any of that, and it will lift your heart, but you will also be acting personally responsible in an act of worship. (sighs) These points of personal study, they are curating true creeds by which we are living throughout the Spirit. And here's 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 the point. In the modern age, you and I, the church, We have no excuse for not growing in our knowledge and understanding theologically. No excuse at all. We have access to more training, teaching, and incredible resources than any of our brothers and sisters could have ever imagined throughout all of Christian history. Now, one of the most crucial facets of personal study involves taking a long, honest, hard look at where we spend our time and our attention and why. If the devil's first mean of attack is to convince us that he doesn't exist— then his second means of attack is distraction. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard the family of Jesus say, I just don't have time for Bible study, for theological training, for personal study. You know, my day, it's just too full. But I say this watching the patterns of my own life. If I look at the time spent distracted by empty creeds of culture, there's a shocking amount of time I have in my day. Friends, Again, I'm not asking you to do this, but just as a model, follow me as I follow Jesus. I've ridded myself of all my social media feeds. I just can't do it. My brain just, I am an addict like you wouldn't believe. And my, I just go there. I finally had to just take YouTube off my computer. I can't access YouTube because puppies chasing baby elephants is, <laughs> I could watch that stuff for hours. <laughs> And then I get to the end of my day and I'm like, oh no, I had no time to study. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I have to be rigorous with myself. One, in responsibility to God. Two, in responsibility to you. Three, in responsibility to myself. I can't tell you, and this is the most frustrating thing for me as a, as a thinking leader in the church of these days. I have been questioned by, at this point, hundreds of Christians. Dan, why does God say this? Or Dan, why would the Bible not allow for that, but it does allow for this? Or why was Jesus' sexual ethic this? And why was his view on money this? And what was going on with politics and Jesus? Or how can I trust the Bible? Or how do we know that the resurrection... Resurrection actually happened. Questions just from all over the place, which Christians have debated and talked about for thousands of years now. And so I will rattle off a stack of books, a few podcasts, and, and I'll, I'll, here's a training class free online. And I'm going to offer you, let's reflect over a cup of coffee after you've done some of this work, and I never see that person again. It's as if the most important and fundamental questions of human existence are treated like a tweet. You just consider it quickly. It kind of bothers you a little bit stirs a little bit of something in you, and then you move on and you forget about it in an instant. And John warns us, John warns the Christian community about the amount of attention we spend on the creeds of the world, the Instagram-curated lives that look so true, but not living life on its own terms. The creeds of the world versus the creeds of Jesus, 
They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are all taking our cues and creeds from somewhere. We're all spending our time on something and paying attention to something. Who are we listening to most intently? What, make, what do we make time for? I'll tell you what we make time for. We make time for the things we want most. And we do all have the time. Dearest church, oh, I love you, but I can feel the beating heart of John for this community in Ephesus saying, you and I in this moment cannot afford to excuse ourselves from meeting with God and personally taking responsibility for our study. I think John would say, just give a half hour of daily study to God via the Bible. I think John would say, just listen to Tim and the Bible Project guys for 15 minutes on their commute instead of whatever. Just just make the decision because just the smallest things will have outsized effect in our lives, in this world, without measure. It's the partnership piece. It's the discipleship piece. It's the discerning of our beliefs piece. It's an intentional, consistent practice of personal study. And we do all of that within community, within community. Personal study, point your finger. Who, what's personal mean? Okay. Now, point your finger at everybody else around you. Within, with you. We do theological study with, with community. We never do theology on our own. When we do theology on our own, we end up theologically anemic. We don't experience the life of fullness that Jesus invites us into through communal practices. The community of Jesus provides actual guardrails and safety measures for us to stay the course on this narrow way that we're walking. The cultural creed, and this is a cultural creed that demands really careful inspection. The cultural creed that I am my own keeper, that I'm the definer of all things true, that I self-authenticate, I self-define, and I determine truth as an individual is demonic to its core. It is demonic to its core. In the midst of community, we ask questions from those who are ahead of us, and we are guided, and we guide those who are following after us. I'm not just talking about community on Wednesday nights with dinner and everything. That's fantastic and very important, or Sunday mornings. I'm talking about in line with Christian community that spans history. Super nerdy moment here, but the, the creeds of the apostles in Nicaea and Chalcedon, they have their origins in the New Testament letters and the New Testament communities, and then they were hammered out through the centuries. And can I just say this? It wasn't a group of 12 white guys sitting down around a table saying, how do we maintain power? That's one of the most intellectually dishonest things that you could possibly say about the development of Christian doctrine throughout history. I've got some books. Let's sit down and have a cup of coffee about that. <laughs> At Neighbors, we stand in line with what is called the historical traditional church of orthodoxy, right belief as outlined through the various confessed creeds, apostles, Nicaea, Chalcedon. By the time you get to later years, like our generation, you have the Chicago view of biblical errancy, you have the Lausanne Covenant, you have the Cape Town Declaration. These are the communities coming around saying, in this cultural moment, what do we need to declare, confess, as our creed of right belief, to say this is Team Jesus and this is probably not Team Jesus. You guys can go to the website. You can learn more about the creeds that we hold to here as a community. And then finally, we create our Christian, or excuse me, we curate our Christian creeds as we submit ourselves under authority. Personal study within community under authority. Would you join me in just taking a little breath now? Under authority. That word authority, under authority, uh, I'm troubled by that, Dan. I know how troubling that point is. Corruption and scandal have pretty much wrecked the perspective of most on the role that I play in the church, on the role that leaders play in the church, and justifiably so. Uh, it's been gnarly. It's been gnarly. Celebrity Christianity has just trashed the role of the leader uh, within a community or leaders. 
We must always frame authority first and foremost through the language of Jesus, who washed feet and served and died as a totalitarian dictator. That's what Jesus is. The most kind, benevolent, selfless, totalitarian dictator ever, whose dictatorship determines our highest flourishing. Leaders in authority in the church are mediating that authority by washing feet and caring for and walking with integrity and serving. Now listen. Before any of us have our feathers ruffled by the word authority, you need to be humble. You are submitting to some source of authority right now, whether you know it or not. Human biology and sociology, we, we are deferring creatures. We mimic each other, so we, we defer to authority no matter what. Even the person who's sitting there, who, who, even the person who says today, I'm a modern individual and no one tells me what to do, learned that creed from cultural and intellectual authorities that really began to have their rise in the 18th, 19th centuries, and you've submitted yourself to that authoritative creed. Does that make sense? Even the most radical individualist is actually part of a community of quote-unquote radical individualists who say individualism is the only way to truly be authentic to humanity. Almost done. And so John says a mark of true belief is that you have this desire to be with the community of Jesus and to listen to the authority of the community of Jesus. And that authority is mediated through uh, people like myself who are theologically trained, gifted and called and qualified to, to teach. But that in no way means that I am the source of mediation of authority. The authority that the Bible talks about in the New Testament is actually a community of authority. We together collectively as the church bear authority one unto another. I submit to you as much as you submit to me in our various gift sets as we learn from each other. It's just that it happens on Sunday morning the way the Western church is set up. I sit up here and yap for 45 minutes with a microphone, which really changes the dynamic of how the church is yielded one unto another in these authoritative structures of theological curation and belief and development. John says this, we are from God. When he says we, he says that's all of us in this room. Personal study, the community, under the authority of the Holy Spirit together with each other. Whoever knows God listens to us. If you know God, you'll listen to Christians and you'll surrender to Christians, and you'll speak Christianly. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. I love ancient Near Eastern arguments for truth and rationality because they're so circular. It, I recognize this is circular. If you're a Christian submitted to the authority of Jesus, then you're going to listen to the authority of Jesus in the midst of community and love it. If you're not, now I'm, you're going to have points of resistance. I have tons of points of resistance with tons of Christian theology, but I submit to it. I submit to it under oversight theologically in my life and under with my church. This circular argument says, though, that when we depart from the Christian community and we depart from Christian authority, that could be, I'm not saying it is, but that is, that is a possible mark that the source of your creed that you're adopting isn't the spirit at all. Now, a lot of us have had to go on the long journey of deconstruction and gone out into the world and kind of got, you know, messed up a little bit out there and have come back. That is a mark of coming back under the authority of the church and that safety umbrella of the church. So we recognize the spirit of truth by who we're listening to, and we listen in the context of personal study, and then we bring that personal study into the context of community, and we ask questions. And listen, at a church like Neighbors, you should be asking the really, really difficult, awkward, uncomfortable questions about everything. Community is the place where you come and you say, 
It says this, but I don't understand how that works out. And what about science? And what about sexuality? And what about, and you should be asking all of those very uncomfortable questions, not so that somebody can stand up and say, don't ask that question. You better believe this way. But so that within community, through personal study, under authority, through trained leaders and untrained leaders, you begin to conversate. You begin to have conversations around theological orthodoxy, and it draws your creedal faith to strength as you are made one with Jesus Christ. Did all that make sense? To assure you this morning, do you want to know Jesus? That's it. That's the work of the Spirit. May we hold genie in the bottle, American nationalist ideas about Jesus right now in this cultural moment, 100%. Does he know how to work those out of us? 100%. Do we maybe have questions around the nature of the Trinity and the paradoxical teaching or the what we call in theology the antinomy, the apparent contradiction that Jesus was fully human and fully God. How does that work? I'm just at a stage, having studied theology for 25 years now, where I say, I don't know. I don't know. I just know I confess it in line with my brothers and sisters throughout history as right orthodox belief. As we come to communion today, Just allow your heart, mind, body, and soul to be brought in the power of the Holy Spirit to a place of, one, personal study. Where am I spending my time and attention? I think for most of us as modern Christians, that's probably the point the Spirit wants to address. Where are you you spending the bulk of your time? How, what is being spoken to there? And then no matter where you find yourself, in whatever creed you have adopted as true, know that it is the love and the gentleness of Jesus Christ that draws you to himself. Not anger, not pride, not belligerence, not, not waiting to drop a hammer on you. Know that Jesus, Jesus recognizes the creeds that we believe, even false creeds. He's empathetic and he understands and he, he wants to very carefully and gently draw us to himself as he is. And the proof of that is the cross of Jesus, the crucifixion. As we come to communion today, bring all of the uncertainty or even the certainties, come to the cross of Jesus, lay down your beliefs before Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to believe as you would have me to believe. I trust you. And then commit your life to learning. Be in the long journey of learning for your whole life. Over and over and over, returning to this learning process with him as he loves us. Yes and amen. Let's all stand.